getting you set for everything Cardinals. In his second game as a Cardinal. Three home runs. This is the Redbird Report Show with Danny Mack. Out there. On 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com. Here in Florida, baseball sits and waits like all in the sports world. And welcome inside the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin of Fox Sports Midwest and 101. So instead of having spring training, the Cardinals, like many others, have entered a spring of the unknown. Some players have stayed here in Florida for informal workouts and others have returned to their off-season homes. What were mandatory activities for the players? That's not the case anymore. The Cardinals training team has given players individual workouts to be ready and stay in shape. Once baseball is back, if baseball comes back, there will be another condensed spring training of what the club believes could be at least two weeks, maybe three, who knows. These informal workouts began today. They're scheduled for every day, but they are closed to the public. Pitchers throw bullpens, hitters are in the cages, and we all collectively wait, wait, wait. So on the Redbird Report, I thought I'd talk a little more than just the coronavirus. It was supposed to be a week from tonight, the Cardinals would be out of Florida. And they'd be in uh, Texas to get ready to take on the Rangers. Tonight we'll hear from Colton Wong on winning the gold glove. Dylan Carlson on his development in the Cardinals system. We'll also hear from Brian Walton as minor league camp had players report and then sent home. Also, I'll have the top five moments from the 2019 season. There are some things we have learned about this club during the Cardinals camp. The Cardinals have depth in their system. Keith Law ranked the Cardinals system in the top 10 of all minor league systems. Names like Cody Whitley, Matthew Libertor, Nolan Gorman all had camps that at times really impressed. The aspect of the camp that had me impressed the most was pitching. The pitching was magnificent in this camp. A player that had an impressive spring training is Dylan Carlson. And Dylan had such a great year a season ago. He finally made it to AAA 2019, a great learning experience for him. Definitely. It was a huge honor to be uh, moved up from AA to AAA. Uh, once again, I was just able to be around great minds every day, and it really helped my game, I think, being able to you know, play at another level and you know, kind of see, see a new league, and I really found it beneficial to play each and every day out in Memphis and you know, like like you said, it was uh, it was a really cool experience, and I'm going to try to take that into next season and continue to build off what I learned. You mentioned that you're around great minds. Who are, who are some of those great minds that maybe have been influential, or you know, those that you kind of lean on as you're as you're growing to get to to the big leagues? Mm-hmm. Um, starting in spring, I mean, being able to be around Willie McGee every day is just such an honor and a privilege. Uh, you know, not there's there's a bunch of players and you know Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Carpenter, Wainwright, Yachty, all those guys. It's just such an honor to be around them and be able to talk to them and how willing they are to share information and pass along their experience. It's it's incredible. And then you know going throughout the season, my hitting coach in Double A, Brandon Allen, was always he's been a big big help for me all throughout my minor league career these last few seasons. So for me, uh, you know, just being able to be around those type of 
people. It really elevates my game and makes me want to be a better player. You know, you've been around the game forever. Your dad was your coach. You played at a high level. You played with guys that are older than you. But did you ever have any of those kind of like, wow, I'm talking to Yachty. I'm talking to Wayno. I'm talking to Goldie. And I'm I'm on their level. I'm a peer. And they're they're taking an interest in me. Did, did any of that kind of stuff happen for you? I ran into that right away. You know, you introduce yourself. You meet everyone. But then as, you know, I, I stuck around a little bit longer in spring and a little bit longer, it kind of started to get more personal with some guys. And that's when I really realized, like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm sitting at the table with all these guys, you know, whether it's Yachty or Molina or Wainwright or just anyone in that clubhouse. It's such a privilege and an honor to be around them. And like I said, it was just incredible how um, how willing they were to share their experience with me and pass along some of the things they've learned throughout this game. Your dad, I would imagine, probably knows your swing better than anybody. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to make that statement and correct me if I'm wrong. But um, do, does he come and visit you at all during the season, or does he see video? Does he go on the app and see the minor league games? Do you guys talk a lot? Or does he kind of say, you know what, I got him to this point. He's worked his tail off. He's there. Uh, let those guys do what they do. I, I, you know what I mean? It's kind of a balancing act, I'm assuming, for your dad. Definitely. He uh, he doesn't miss an at-bat. He watches every every single at-bat on the uh, on the app. And for him, uh, he, he, he likes to chime in here and there. He's real passionate about the sport and, you know, all um, him, him coaching and all that stuff. So uh, he, he definitely tries to chime in, but he – of course, he understands that I have coaches and I have a pretty good feel of what I'm doing now at this point. So he uh, he definitely understands, but he's always there, you know, just that that extra voice and, you know, trying to pass along what he's seeing. And like it, like you said, he's always been a part of my life and he's been a big mentor for me ever since I started playing. So for me, it's uh, it's really cool to have someone like that who takes that much, uh, who has that much passion about the sport and then tries to help me in any way possible. For fans that don't know, are you natural lefty or righty at the plate? Yeah, I'm a natural right-handed hitter, but left-handed I get so many at-bats that it, it, it almost becomes my natural side during the season just with the splits and all that stuff. So natural right-handed hitter, but I've been hitting left-handed for a long time as well. And you throw left. So um, when you you know think about going forward with – what you need to work on. What what were the things that, in particular, both left and right, that you tried to maybe, you know, as you critique yourself, try to improve upon as you advanced in these levels? Yeah, um, for me, it's just really executing my plan at the end of the day. Um, for me, it's finding a way to stick to my approach and be as consistent as possible each and every day. You know, really trying not to give in to the other team, the, the way they're trying to get me out or the way they're trying to, you know, pitch to me a certain way. So for me, I really try to hone in and focus in on my on my approach and really dial it in, my mindset, make sure everything's locked in and just go about my business each and every day the same way and keep that same attitude, whether I go 0 for 4 or 4 for 4, just stay hungry each and every day, wanting to get better. That's really the thing I focus on. There's nothing physical necessarily. I really try to focus on when I'm hitting. I just really try to focus on the mental part. Are you a are you a video guy? I mean, it seems like everybody's in video, but when I say video guy, do you dive into it? And then when you're looking at video, are you evaluating yourself or are you looking at the picture mm-hmm. as well? Because there's so much information. How do you try to you know take it all in and comprehend it? 
uh, for me, I watch video on the uh, on the other team's pitchers. I don't watch too much video on myself. There are times when maybe I feel a certain way and I just need some reassurance on what I'm feeling. Then I'll go watch video on myself. But besides that, I only watch video on the uh, opposing pitchers, and I really just try to focus on the way they try to pitch the hitters similar to me and ways they try to get them out. And then I formulate a game plan and really try to play to my strengths and find ways to you know, get the best results that night. Growing up on the West Coast, did you have a favorite team? Uh, yeah, I grew up a fan of the Yankees. Uh, I went to uh, Cooperstown when I was around 10 years old, and I was able to you know, be around New York City and Yankee Stadium and all that. So uh, it was a pretty cool experience. And I, I just, I don't know, something about the whole being there. I just kind of rooted for the Yankees growing up. And then, yeah, his being from the West Coast, you know, it's a little different. But I went out there and, yep, I became a fan of the Yankees. Sure. Did you, did you have a favorite player growing up? Yeah, my favorite player growing up was Prince Fielder. <laughs> Well, you got a little different yeah, body so, type, you know? I mean, it's a little different. Yeah, we do. But when I was younger, I was a little bit of the heavier kid. So uh, I really, I really, the thing I enjoyed most watching him was how much passion he played the game with and how excited he was and just the way he, he really uh, enjoyed playing the game. It always looked like he had such a great time. That was something I really just grew fond of and really uh, appreciated watching all the time. I'm curious, too, did you hear much from the, the Cardinals Major League staff? You know, you're around them so much in spring training for a couple of months, if not before then, when guys get there even after Christmas. But did you get text messages or, you know, a phone call from Mike Schild or Jeff Albert or any of those guys just checking in and seeing how you're doing? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I didn't get any specific messages from them. But, um, of course, I heard I heard some things from uh the people that would come through, you know, telling me keep up the good work and stuff like that. So, you know, um, I I really had a great time in spring training and I learned a lot. And, you know, I, I really felt those people had a really good uh, understanding and they really cared about what I was doing. So, you know, it's like, like I said earlier, it's a real pleasure to be around such great minds of the game. And I really enjoy, enjoy playing the game. When you look at your career where it is right now and you, and you kind of reflect and it's been moving rapidly from high school now to, to getting paid to do this, what what were the major adjustments and what are the major adjustments that you've had to make to get to, at least at this point, the AAA level? Mm -hmm. um, for me, you know, right away when you sign, you got to get used to playing every day. That's yeah. something different. It's a different uh, – it's a different uh, – toll on your body than playing you know whether it's two three times a week in high school or the travel ball circuit so uh, that was one thing right away that I had to get used to just playing every day and then on top of that you got to you know bring coming coming to the park every day ready to go so for me that was just something I really found right away that I needed to adjust not not saying I wasn't ready but I just felt like there was more I could have done to be ready and you know really prepare myself and that was something I think being around this year in spring training that I really saw how prepared they were every day to play the game and how prepared everyone was to, you know, go compete. So for me, I felt like that was something I really could improve. And I felt like I did a good job of really uh, focusing on all year and finding ways to get better each and every day was something that really has uh, helped my game. You, you can play all three outfield spots. You play them at a high level. You played a ton of, of center field uh, this last year. So it's kind of a two-part question. What are you most comfortable with 
And then on mm-hmm. top of that, you know, what if, if the Cardinals said, hey, we, we'd kind of like you to go in this direction, or is it wide mm-hmm. open at this point? Uh, exactly, 100%. Um, I've been real fortunate to be able to play all three outfield spots throughout my you know, time playing in the minors, and I found it really beneficial. And for me, I'm just trying to keep it as open as possible to play in all three, keep my you know, options as open as I possibly can, be as versatile as I can, and help the team any way I can. So for me, um, you know, the team would like me to play all three. That way I bring as much value as I possibly can. So I really uh, take pride in my defense, and, you know, I really try to improve at each each of the spots. And to answer your question about uh, being comfortable, I feel real comfortable in all three. So that's something, like I said, being able to play all three and get experience at each, is I've really found beneficial. And it's really helped me uh, feel comfortable in each spot. And, you know, it's, uh, it's it's really great the way they've exposed me in each spot. Which one do you like most? Uh, f- for me, I like center. I also like right. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel really comfortable in left as well. So there's, I, I really can't say I have a favorite. For me, I just like being out there, honestly. Yeah. Just finding a way in the lineup is my biggest uh is the biggest thing I'm uh, proud of. So for me, it's just being able to be out there each and every day, whether it's in left, right, or center. But for me, it's just being out there every day, what I take pride in. Drive into center off the bat of Dylan Carlson, and he drives in his first here in 2020, and it makes it a 2-0 St. Louis lead. A bullet. That was the start of spring for Dylan Carlson, and at some point we will see him in the major leagues. Up next, I'll have my top five moments from a season ago. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin of Fox Sports Midwest and 101. Later in the show, minor league camp had started. Those kids have been sent home, and we'll talk about the top players in the minors that weren't a part of major league camp with Brian Walton. And I'll have a visit with Colton Wong coming up as well. So I decided to put together my top moments from a year ago. Now, these are my top moments. You may have some others along the way. And I'm sure that you will. It all started for me on the first road trip of the year for St. Louis and Paul Goldschmidt. Goes, and Goldschmidt hits a drive out to deep left. It's at the wall. How about number one? It is gone. It's gone. Goldschmidt, his first as a Cardinal. And you could see that baby coming. How about his second? A long one. Deep left. Goodbye. His second game as a Cardinal and his second home run. Cardinals go back on top. Goldschmidt has done it again. In his second game as a Cardinal, three home runs. Goldschmidt. Remember, at that time, the Brewers, in a way, they were the team to chase, and Goldie stepped up. It was a slow start for him, but he wound up with 34 homers, 97 runs batted in, homered in six straight games at one point. It was the fifth time third straight that he's popped 30 homers. Game two makes my list. Jump ahead to the emergence of Tommy Edmond. He was promoted to the Cardinals on June 8th, and it took a little bit for him to get into the lineup and stay, but when you perform off the bench, you earn a chance to play. The 2-2. 
Edmund with a drive. He got me last night. He struck me out with a runner on second base and I think one out last night. And I told myself I wasn't going to let him get me twice and tried to sneak a fastball by me and I didn't let him. Um, well, I know the guys ahead of me all had really good at-bats to get on base and really set the table. Um, those were two tough pitchers we faced in the ninth, uh, Adams and Elias at the end. And um, I just noticed our guys were, were, weren't going down without a fight and I didn't want to be the one to, to end that inning. Yeah, it's awesome. That's what's so great about this team is everyone's so supportive. And uh, even though I haven't been here the whole year, everyone's been been super welcoming right out of the gate, and uh, to have the chance to have an, an, uh, a moment like that was pretty special. A pinch hit homer against Seattle, and then the next day he came back with the bases loaded, a single late uh, to win the game for St. Louis. Tommy Edmond played in 92 games for the Cardinals, started 75 of them. He hit 304 for the season, 397 average in close and late situations, and from the time of his promotion, he led the Cardinals in hits. Huge year for Tommy Edmond, number four on my list. Number three on my list isn't a game, and eventually it does feature a moment inside a game, but it was the return of Albert Pujols. The first night saw raw emotion for him and for the fans. Multiple standing ovations for Albert. Beat out an infield hit for his only hit of game one of the series. It's just pretty amazing, you know. I mean, it'll show you why they are the best fans in baseball. and Just pretty amazing. I'm just glad to be able to, you know, play here for 11 years and have the the great memories and you know like I say this is uh, I was pretty close from dropping a couple of tears there I think uh, especially you know when I hooked Yadi and you know we had that little moment to ourselves right there too like I say that doesn't surprise me at all you know because our fans they're you know being here for 11 years and the support that they even give it the other side when <laughs> they do something great and share you know and being in the home side it was uh, pretty special so this is uh, incredible moment for me tonight and it's something that I'm gonna put it right out there you know with the accomplishment of winning the World Series twice here because this is uh, I was pretty special and I know just for me for my wife and my five beautiful kids you know to have part of that and you know all my friends too uh, it's pretty special I mean as soon as I step my foot in that field you know um, I was like <laughs> talking to Trout and Cole, like, are you guys going to leave me hanging right here by myself? Come on, don't leave me, you know, but they were just understanding that, you know, that moment and pretty special. And unfortunately, you know, we came up with the loss, you know, but overall, I think it was a great game and I'm pretty sure the fans enjoyed, you know, just like I did. Game two of the series saw Dakota Hudson on the mound. He was pitching well, picked up a win. However, one pitch in that game is the one that stands out. A 2-1 pitch to Albert Pujols. Albert hits it a ton out to deep left. He gave us 11 years of memories we'll never forget. He's just given us another. That was a very good chance to be the final home run that Pujols ever hits in St. Louis at Bush Stadium, number three on my list. All seasons are filled with great comebacks, but for some reason, the comebacks just seemed to happen more often in Cincinnati for the Cardinals. It was July 19th, and it seemed like any other regular season game in the long season of regular season baseball. The Cardinals were looking at a loss. They're down 7 to nothing, but to their credit, they came back, and they came back in a big way. 
a 10-run inning, highlighted by Jose Martinez. Two on, two outs, a 3-2 pitch. Martinez with the drive. Left center. It is gone for the second consecutive night. A back-breaking bomb. Last night, the grand slam. This one, three-run shot. Martinez, and that's 10. Count them up. 10 runs in the inning. Can you believe that? Wow! You could almost see it coming though, couldn't you? The night before, it was a grand slam by Tommy Edmond. This night featured a Jose Martinez blast and the Cardinals eventually held on 12 to 11. Maybe a sign of things to come. They would enjoy a 10-run first inning against the Braves in game five of the clincher of the division series in Atlanta. Number one on my list, the Wrigley Field Massacre. Four games that basically decided the division late. A dramatic extra inning win in Game 1, and the Cardinals somehow pulled out Game 2. Then on September 21st, two swings for the ages against Cubs closer Craig Kimbrell. First pitch and a high fly ball. Left center at the wall. God! One pitch. He tied it. He tied it. Solo home run. Molina. And this one driven out to left center. Back to back. Yes. 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 St. Louis on top. Two bombs. Two pitches. Nine, eight, St. Louis. The next day, the Cardinals again came from behind in the ninth against Chicago, and that allowed them to make history. The 0-2. Fly ball. Center field. This is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs at Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. So those are my top five. I realize there were many others, but those were the five that stood out for me. Glove by Wong gets up and what a play. Takes a hit away from Jerickson Profar. On his way to the gold glove here in 2019, that's Colton Wong. Wong with the catch with his back to the infield. What a play by Colton Wong. Oh, what a play here. Out there, double play! Oh, Wong! Little flare, Wong going out, leaps high, he got it! He got it! What a play, Colton Wong! Told the guys in the gold glove tournament, I plan on being here, you know, for a long time. I don't want to give this up. I don't plan on giving this up. You know, I expect to be here for a while. And um, man, it's just one of those things where, you know, after you taste a little bit of success, you know, you want it all. The St. Louis Cardinals, National League Central Division champions. The Cardinals, led by Colton Wong, had six players as a finalist for a gold glove. Wong won the award. He made 38 plays a season ago in which he sprinted to either reach a pop-up or go after a ground ball, five more than any other second baseman. Coming up, it'll be a visit with Colton Wong on the Redbird Report. More baseball talk. We're back now to the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia.
Welcome back to the Redbird Report. I'm Dan McLaughlin of Fox Sports Midwest and 101. The Cardinals went from leading the majors in airs with 133 in 2018 to committing the fewest just 66 a year ago. To put it in perspective, only the 1935 Chicago White Sox who made the second fewest airs in one year after committing the most. The franchise has won 89 gold gloves. No franchise has won more. Ozzie Smith had 13. Yadier Molina with nine, and now Colton Wong has his first. Colton was drafted and developed in the Cardinals system, and now he has the first gold glove, and it's an incredible accomplishment for the Cardinals' second baseman. Yeah, no, I mean, when I first got there, you know, obviously you, you sign and, you know, you go downstairs and you take your batting practice, and uh, while I was down there, I was talking to Edo Kendo, and he asked me about, you know, defense and whatnot, how I feel. I was like, oh, it's all right, you know, I mean, I think I, I just started playing second base two years ago, my, my sophomore, junior year, so... It was still pretty new to me, but I felt like you know I, I could I could get decent at that position. And you know he told, he turned to me and he's like, you know I, I know you can hit. He's like, but I want to see if you can win, win a Gold Glove. <laughs> Prove me that you can win a Gold Glove. And you know I've always been somebody who t- you know I love getting challenged. I love getting put in situations where guys want to see me you know either succeed or fail. So uh, you know I really took on to defense and just tried to you know really buy into it. What were some of the things, if you can take you back to that time in, in your career, what were some of the things you remember specifically that, that he was doing for you, both mentally and, and physically and the drills, uh, to get you to be one of the elite defenders in the game? Yeah, it was, I mean, the biggest thing with him was just understanding, you know, body positioning and, and, and how to feel the ball correctly. And then, you know, when, when I was learning this uh, second base, it was also the time when you're still allowed to take guys out. So, you know, I had to learn, you know, how to maneuver on the base, how to turn to a place correctly and be in position so that if I did get taken out, I wasn't going to break a leg or anything. I was, you know, able to, you know, take a blow correctly and, and you know, be in a good, good position. But, yeah, he just, you know, it was just all about repetition. You know, he he knew that I had good hands. He knew that, I you know, I, I was a good athlete. It was just about understanding, you know, how to read ground balls and, you know, how to go get them, you know, be able to step back and, and just, you know, kind of be that all-around good defensive player. What is better for you, hitting a walk-off homer or turning in a spectacular double play? What What do you think it is? Um, honestly, for me, it's turning a double play. I've I've all said that I love, especially like a ninth inning, you know, one out, full base, the ground ball, where it's a make or break play for the for the end of the game. Uh, those those are probably the best. I enjoy those the most because that's the highest you know pressure situation, and it's just you know it's a make or break play. And if you do it, it's it's just a good feeling to know, like man, we're out here. We got his double play and we're out. Little flare. Wong going out. Leaps high. He got it. He got it. What a play. Colton Wong. When you made that play behind Adam Wainwright um, against Chicago on a Sunday afternoon and Adam had thrown something like 120 pitches and it was one of the longest yeah. outings he had had in years and you come up with that dazzling play in, in shallow right, is that yeah. your play of the year for you or do you have one that stands out this past season? I honestly think that's the play. Um, you know, how Wayne was pitching that whole that whole game, you know, as the innings started going, you know, your your um, focus started to get, you know, more and more intense. You started understanding, okay, Wayne was doing it. You know, we got to be ready, got to be ready. So when that situation came about, I told myself that, hey, round ball anywhere around me, you know, ball anywhere hit near me, I'm getting after it. I'm going to get this ball. So when that ball set off the bat, I took off. Luckily, I, I felt like I got a a great read right off the bat and took off for it. And I was just like, man, I'm going for it. I'm going to sell out and see if I can make this play for him. And luckily I was able to bring it down. 
when the shift came into play, and and you've been around now a long time. You're not the young guy anymore. I mean, you're still young, but you've been with the Cardinals for a long time and came up at an early age. Yeah. And the shift has really changed over the last couple of years. From a defensive perspective, yeah. you know, how does that affect your game, and do you think it's been able to really show and highlight just how good you are defensively by putting you in more spots to make those plays? Yeah, I think it kind of goes both ways for me. You know, obviously there's a lot of balls that get taken away from me with somebody coming you know, over to the second base side. So sometimes, you know, I think Paul will take a ground ball from me or, you know, Edmonds or, or Carp was, was over there to take a ground ball. And I'd look at the dog, I'd be like, that's my ground ball. You know, I'd be kind of a little sure. frustrated. But, hey, you know, there, there was also times where a hard hit ball would be hit where I probably wasn't going to make a play. And, you know, it was right at Paul or right at, you know, those other two. So, you know, it definitely went both ways. And, you know, I think for me, especially like understanding, you know, how to play deep, you know, being in the grass is – it took me a little bit to understand that because the, once the ball goes from grass to dirt back to grass, it changes the whole dynamic of how it's bouncing. So it was, you know, kind of a learning curve, understanding how to read the ball when it came from, you know, that dirt to grass transition. It, it was interesting. I, I talked to, to Paul, I guess it was about midway through the year, and he said, man, I, I'm just taking so much pride in my defense, and, and here he is, a, a Gold Glove finalist. And he said, I was watching yeah. Javi Baez of all of all players, he said, I, I like how he walks into the pitch and he's on his toes, and I, I wasn't doing enough of that. So my question to you, yeah. who do you watch that, that you like to, to say, oh, that guy, I like how he does that. I like how he goes to his left or walks into a pitch or moves to his right or pivots on a bag. Is there somebody that you kind of watch yeah. and say you, you picked up some things along the way? Um, Honestly, not really. You know, I kinda, They're watching I you, aren't they? that. <laughs> no, I'm not sure about that, but you know, I told myself that, you know, for, for me, I, I know what kind of athlete I am, you know, so I, I wanted to bring that athleticism to my game of defense. And, you know, I told myself, okay, you know, setting up, you know, I would always watch tennis with my grandma growing up and I started realizing, okay, these people are returning 115, 120 mile an hour serves. How are they doing that? You know, I watched their stuff. They kind of had a one, two into like a little jump step. And I started, you know, doing that probably around 2014-ish, 2013. And, uh, you know, I started feeling like I was getting better jumps off the ball. I started feeling like I was able to, you know, see, read the ball while I was in the air. And once my feet kind of hit the ground, you know, it was, I was able to kind of just explode, you know, to my left, to my right. And, you know, once I started, you know, adding that to my game, I started realizing like, okay, you know, for me, it's about understanding what works for me. You know, obviously there's a lot of guys who have, you know, different ways of how to approach a ground ball. You know, Paul liked how Javi did. I tried to work with Paul a little bit, but, you know, like I said, body dynamics and whatnot, it, you know, it kind of changes how, you know, your approach of, you know, being ready. So I think for me, it was just understanding what made me work the most and most consistent and, you know, sticking to that and, and working off of that. There aren't a ton of, of major leaguers over the years that have been from Hawaii that have been to the major leagues and then had sustained success. And now you're one of the best ever to come from Hawaii and you can add gold glove to your to your resume, what has that meant to the people of Hawaii and your community to see you um, get this award? Oh, I mean, nothing but support, a lot of pride. Um, you know, I, I came back a week early before the Go Glove was announced, and uh, I kind of knew I, I knew that I won the Go Glove back in October. They they kind of told us this back then, like uh, you know, we won the Go Glove, but we couldn't tell anybody. They're like, if you tell anybody, you know, we're going to cancel the show. You know, we're going to cancel <laughs> it. I'm like, oh, okay, I won't. I won't say a single word, I promise. I mean, I, I didn't even tell my dad until like a week before I won it. So, you know, it's one of those things I just wanted to, you know, soak it all in, allow it to kind of come to, you know, 
to, to the surface and show people like, hey, man, there's a lot of hard work. But, you know, people in Hawaii, man, they're just so proud of us. You know, being from, you know, these small rocks in the middle of the water, you know, people are just so proud of, of anybody of Hawaiian descent that is going out and, and bringing pride to, to Hawaii. What did it mean to your dad, your brother, and your wife to win this award and your family in general? Oh, everybody is super stoked. My dad, after I told him, uh, he, you know, he, he kind of played the dad card, you know, really like, oh, right on, congratulations. And then I get a call from him like 10, 15 minutes later. He's like, man, I couldn't stop crying. I'm so proud of you. And then, <laughs> You know, the brother, you know, he's, he's pumped for me. Obviously it's, that's been my little training partner since, and since we were little kids and, you know, to see the transition that I make in defense, you know, he's excited to work with me. He wants me, you know, to help him with his defense. You know, obviously he's with the giants now and, you know, he's, he's got a chance of winning a spot. So he's like, man, I want to work. I want to get better. I want to figure this out. So, you know, it's just cool to see everybody kind of turning, start giving that respect of, you know, defense. Uh, I think everybody overlooks the defensive aspect of the game, but, you know, for me, I pride myself on being a full all-around player that can do it on both sides of the field. And, uh, you know, this is just more, I guess, affirmation for me knowing that, man, all this hard work is finally, you know, paying off. You know, this is no disrespect to the previous manager or managers you played for, but I said when the, the managerial shift took place and Mike Schilt was brought in, I said, and I said it on the air the, the day it happened. I said, you're going to see the best of Colt Wong. You're going to see this guy thrive under Mike Schilt. And it just seems mm-hmm. like the players love him. Colton, you've got a special relationship with him. And because of that, you know you're going to be there every single day. It allows your skills to shine through. Do, do you think that's a, a fair assessment? Absolutely. I mean, you know, like you said, you know, no, no disrespect to any other guys, but you know, the thing that I, I built with show started in double A, you know, we, we kind of created this almost not, not a friendship, but this understanding of, you know, how to go out there and compete the right way. And, you know, showed he was always like, man, I don't care how you play. I care how you compete. And, you know, that was a big thing for me. It's like, I prided myself on being a competitor every single day. I step into that field. Am I going to have it every single day? Probably not, you know, but I'm going to bring some sort of, of the, the, the game to the, you know, to each game, you know, I'm going to bring my defense one day. I'm going to bring my offense one day. I might, you know, bring my base running one day, regardless of what it is, I know that I'm going to be playing hard every single day. And Schultz understood that. He respected that. And he loved that. You know, he put me out there and was like, man, here's the reins. Go out there, you know, be yourself and go play. And that's all I ever wanted. You know, I, I've been telling people that since I got to the league. I was like, man, I just need to be out there every single day. I know when I'm out there every single day. I know what kind of player I can be. You know, I know how to figure out how to play consistently. And, and Schultz knew that and he gave me that chance. And, you know, you guys saw this year. It was you know, big year for me. I knew that, you know, as long as I got a chance to have a manager that really respected me and believed in me, I knew that I was going to fight for him. And show, as soon as I found out he was the guy, I was like, all right, man, I'm excited. Let's get going. Like, you know what I need. I know what you need. You know, give me the chance and, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I make you proud. Absolutely. Um, I'll wrap it up with this. You, you had such a great second half of the season offensively. Now you win the gold glove so people know, and we've all known, uh, I think you got robbed a couple of times at the gold glove, but now you got the gold glove under your belt. Getting to another level, take your game even to the, the best level it can possibly be. Oh, man. I mean, I, I, for me, as soon as these ended, I started watching some video of, of my games and, and not just, you know, the highlights. It was just about I'd watch games and see, you know, how I was transitioning, you know, throughout the innings and just understanding, you know, the player that I am. I finally realized what works for me offensively. I finally realized, you know, who I am as a player. So it's about now just, you know, keeping that hunger. And, you know, I think after winning this gold glove, I just got even more hungry. 
you know, I want to hold this for a long time. I told I told the guys in the Go Go Ceremony, I plan on being here, you know, for a long time. I don't want to give this up. I don't plan on giving this up. You know, I expect to be here for a while. And, um, man, it's just one of those things where, you know, after you taste a little bit of success, you know, you want it all. I'm excited to continue this run. We had a good run this year, you know, to the postseason. Now it's about, you know, hopefully pushing it to get into the World Series back in St. Louis. That's Gold Glove second baseman Colton Wong. Up next, minor league camp had started here in Jupiter. Those players have been sent home. However, there were players that we had not seen yet in camp. Who are the stars of the Cardinal system that weren't in camp? Who are the stars of tomorrow? Brian Walton of the CardinalsNation.com has some of those answers, and we'll talk about it next on the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. Final segment of the show. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin of Fox Sports Midwest and 101. Well, minor league camp was in full swing, and Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com joins me. There were players everywhere, and obviously with a full camp and then the minor leaguers, that wasn't easy to manage about a week ago. That's right, and, and uh, Mike, among the many jobs that Mike Schilt held before he became the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals as part of his broadening class is that, uh, part of his broadening work is that Mike Schilt was minor league field coordinator. And what that means, among many other things, is he ran um, spring training camp for the minor leagues, he ran extended spring training camp, he ran instructional league. So, you know, he was basically the guy in charge of everything that the players do in camp, which primarily at a high level in the morning consists of uh, the players doing their strength and conditioning, all their stretching work, uh, and then they, the position players work on drills, the pitchers work on drills as well. Um, the pitchers who aren't pitching uh, in full game action would be throwing bullpen sessions. So there's a lot of preparation work done in the morning, and then typically in the afternoon at 1 o'clock on the backfields, uh, the Kissel Quad, fields uh, two through five is what they're called, uh, the Cardinals play uh, a series of games. And with 157 players in camp now, plus more coming down from St. Louis later, you know, there's plenty of guys who want to get on the field and, and show their stuff. So there's four games typically going on at once. Let's talk about who runs this camp with all these players uh, and that responsibility. What happens there? Yeah, uh, uh, after Mike Schilt left, uh, actually his mentor and the mentor of, of many uh, of the uh, coaches in the system, Mark DeJean, Mark DeJean uh, was minor league field coordinator. But DJ had announced his intention to retire early so they could get a succession plan in place. And Chris Swagger, who's a former outfielder in the system, got all the way to Springfield before he had some injuries. And he was a successful manager at both Johnson City and at Peoria, uh, Chris Swagger now is the minor league, he was the assistant field coordinator, and now this year he is the minor league field coordinator. So uh, Chris Swagger is the guy who's running the camp with the help, of course, of all the coaches, all the managers, the p- pitching coaches, uh, position player coaches, as well as the, the two coordinators, um, Tim Levesque, uh, who's the pitching coordinator, and uh, Russ Steinhorn, who's the new hitting coordinator, who's just uh, uh, joined the Cardinals organization last fall. Let's dive into some of the players that are in this camp, and I'll start with John Torres. Yeah, John Torres, uh, outfielder, an exciting player that came over in trade from Cleveland uh, in July of 2018. And uh, Torres, you know, started in the Gulf Coast League, very young guy, I think he was 18 at the time, 
played extremely well in the Gulf Coast League. He, like third baseman Malcolm Nunez, was challenged with an assignment to full season Peoria last May, struggled in the Midwest League, so they backed him off to Johnson City, and he had a nice year there, a good source of power. The interesting thing about John Torres is because he's been in baseball so long, you know, he's signed at 16, uh, he will be Rule 5 eligible this winter. So the Cardinals are going to be, I think, motivated to move John Torres pretty quickly this year if he can so they can decide, number one, is he a guy that they want to protect or that they think another organization might come after next December? How about Malcolm Nunez? Yeah, Malcolm Nunez, we just talked about him. He was a July 2nd free agent signing in 2018. I've just completely tore the Dominican Summer League apart that year. Just a, a tremendous, tremendous offensive beginning. Uh, he followed basically the same path as Torres last year. Uh, started in an extended spring training, got a shot at Peoria, didn't do so well, and then fell back to Johnson City. Uh, he is a third baseman, so, you know, another interesting guy, along with, the, of course, uh, Nolan Gorman, who's much closer to St. Louis. Nunez didn't have as good of a year as folks hoped last year, but he also was dealing with some injuries. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. These these guys, both Torres and Nunez, are guys that I expect, unless they fail miserably, should be uh, uh, some of the leaders of the Peoria roster to start the season. Trajan Fletcher, that's a name I think that fans should probably keep an eye on. Yeah, Trajan Fletcher, the Cardinals' second rounder last year, comes from Maine, cold weather. Uh, he was originally going to come out on the twenty. 20 draft, but decided to go in 2019 instead, and that was a rather late decision. A lot of organizations didn't get a lot of eyes on him. The Cardinals gambled on him. He's a guy that has tremendous talent, but is still very, very raw. He had a very brief start in uh, the Gulf Coast League, but then quick, you know, quickly was moved up to Johnson City and found the pitching there to be a little tough. Um, but again, an extremely talented young player, can really do everything well. Uh, run hit, but he's you know still has a lot to learn. So I think Fletcher, it will be more of a challenge for Fletcher to make the jump to the Midwest League. But you know a lot depends on on how he shows in camp. One of the players I'm really curious to watch is Delvin Perez, who is the top pick from a few years ago, the shortstop. Where is he at right now in the Cardinal system, and and what do you expect this year? Delvin Perez played all last year at Peoria. Of course, he's a former first round draft pick. Has moved rather slowly in the system. Uh, basically one level per year. And Perez is another guy who will be Rule 5 eligible this fall. And the, the logical progression for Delvin will be to go to Palm Beach this year, which is a tough place to hit. But, you know, Perez has a tool. I mean, defensively, there's no question. As long as he's focused, you know, he's a, uh, you know, he's a very good, very, very good defensive player. His problem is that he hasn't been inclined to take a walk, and he hasn't been inclined to use his speed to hit balls in the gaps. He's been more of a singles hitter who doesn't draw a lot of walks. And so that offensive profile is one that unless he picks it up, he's going to have a hard time, you know, making it to the major leagues before you know, he, he runs out of time. Interesting stuff. Uh, there are pitchers that were taken in last year's draft that uh, now we finally get a chance to watch in, in camp here and then this season. That's right. Um, of course, first rounder Zach Thompson has gotten a lot of the attention. He's still in major league camp. But there's another group of guys who were taken who may – Profile. Some of them may profile as relievers, but they began the year primarily at State College. And then I'm talking about Tony Losey, Andre Palante, Tony Losey from Georgia, Andre Palante, uh, and then Jack Ralston from uh, UCLA. Those guys all were on a limited workload last year because they pitched a full college season, and the Cardinals try very carefully not to overwork these guys. So one of the things I'll be watching in camp is which of these guys 
will be working as starters, which will be working as relievers. The guys who may be more inclined to be relievers like a Tony Losey, who did finish at Peoria, you know, could move up pretty quickly. And it won't be this year, but they could be, you know, for example, Losey could be a guy like Cody Whitley next year who folks say, hey, you know, he came out of nowhere and all of a sudden now he's, you know, on the cusp of the major leagues. Because the Cardinals did make it what appears to be a very concerted effort in the 2019 draft to replenish the pitching in the system. And, of course, the fastest way to replenish pitching is to get college pitchers rather than high school pitchers that require a longer development and are higher risk. That's Brian Walden of thecardinalnation.com. Many thanks to Brian, Colton Wong, Dylan Carlson. Obviously, this is a wait-and-see period for all involved in sports and certainly in the game of baseball. And what is happening? We will have you covered on 101 ESPN. This has been the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. The Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop jimbutlerkia.com.